Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Pisando la pelota Nelson, a la media vuelta se vuelve a marchar Nelson, Martinelli con la pelota, el recorte de Martinelli, segundo tanto de Martinelli, segundo gol de Gabriel Martinelli. El... This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, whatever the French for goodly morning is. Bonjour. Ah, goodly morning, I think it is. <laughs> I'm fluent. Oh did my you not know? Yeah, I did I didn't know that. Um yeah, actually that's not the worst French accent I've heard this weekend. I oh, watched really? I watched this thing called King on Netflix. Right. Last night it was about Henry V and Robert Pattinson, the guy from uh, um uh, Twilight. Twilight. Yeah, he was he was the dauphin and he has got this French accent that is like is like a cartoon chef. <laughs> <laughs> it's really Great. bad. But anyway, you're in France. I'm in France. I'm in Saint Etienne. Ooh, uh, what could to, you be doing there? <laughs> trying to persuade William Saliba to up sticks <laughs> and uh, not change his mind. But listen, there's great things about London. Have you seen the London Eye? I, I'll show you that. Um, no, he. I, I am here. I was here watching him last night play against AS Monaco. I was kind of hoping for an intra-Arsenal clash. I thought Cesc Fabregas might be playing for yeah. Monaco, but he wasn't involved, not in the matchday squad. But I can confirm, playing alongside Saliba, to his right, your friend of mine, Mathieu Debussy. Right. He's still so, chugging yeah. along there, is he? He's still chugging along. He's playing as a wing back, actually. He was one of their more attacking players. Spent most of the game sort of in the in the final third. Had to come off after about 65 minutes. He was knackered. Right. Um, but yes, Lieber doing very well. I'm here writing a piece about him. And they kept a clean sheet last night. They've had a, a bit of a turnaround under Claude Puel. And... I mean, the best thing I can say about him really is that everyone in France is saying they, they sold him too soon and they sold him too cheap. So right. that's promising. That is good, but it won't help us until next year at the very mm-hmm. earliest. But Absolutely. So, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you just step away and take more of a long-term view, potentially some good news. But in the short term, it's still all bad news. Yeah, it's still, it's been a difficult weekend. It will be fair to say a difficult weekend after a difficult week. For mm-hmm. Arsenal, um, we needed something on Saturday against Wolves to kind of maybe restore, not feel-good factor is not quite what I'm talking about here, not, not feel-good factor, but just to sort of calm the waters a bit. Um, yeah. We did not get that. We got another um, game which uh, raises many questions, further questions about what we're doing, how we're doing it, what we're going to do in the future and everything else. I think there are some wider issues, obviously, that, that we'll talk about. Um, but I, I guess we should start with the match itself. Mm-hmm. There was a return for Mesut Ozil, which I think people were if not quite expecting hopeful of because of his involvement against Liverpool and the fact that he was taken off, it's strongly hinted that he would be involved in the matchday squad. 
But rather than play Ozil with Pepe, Aubameyang and Lacazette, he left Pepe on the bench um, Mm. for the entire 90 minutes. And we'll come to the substitutions a little bit later, but... What what do you think his reasoning was there? Is is he just incapable of saying fuck it, fuck it? Let's go for it. Let's really just you know go for it. I'm I'm under pressure. You know it would have been a win at least for for him from uh, team selection point of view if he'd said this is my best front three. This is the best creative talent we have at the club, regardless of the other issues that surround him. We've got the Ginduzi Terreira double pivot potentially that people have wanted to see. You know, he could have given people kind of what they wanted, but somehow, whether there's something missing that we don't know in terms of information about Pepe or an injury or whatever, you know, he just seems incapable of just going balls to the wall for a better expression. Yeah, I mean... I don't think any coach should should set out to give people what they want because um, we don't know what we're talking about, basically. But <laughs> I, but I, I think that he is incapable of just you know taking the handbrake off, as you say. Like I, I do think there is something fundamental in his makeup that he's just not a guy who can go for it really, unless the circumstances sort of force him to. You know, and I've said already this season that when we've been 2 0 down, it's sometimes when we've been at our best or our most free flowing going forward because mm. we've got no other choice. Uh, I do just think there is an inherent caution in his managerial approach. I mean, looking at the system, I'm not a huge fan of it as a system, especially with the players that we used on the day. But I suppose there is the thing of, you know, if you've got Aubameyang and Lacazette, you know, if he'd put Aubameyang wide, there would have been criticism of that as well. Mm. I mean, at least you get them in a front two and they did combine for our goal. I do think it's the midfield behind that and the construction of that that was more problematic. I mean, it was so, so narrow. And I think, you know, you can expect that when you play with a diamond. But if you've got fullbacks, if you've got Hector Bellerin, say, on the right-hand side, mm. who's a bit more penetrative going forward, it gives you a bit more width. I think, you know, so much of our build-up play came down the right and came down through Callum Chambers. And while he's a very competent player, he just can't really do what you would expect a fullback in that system mm. to be able to do. Yeah, okay, I get that. But are we not, is this not kind of clutching at straws a little bit in the sense that, you know, we're looking at, okay, maybe he can't do that, but is that really what's wrong? Is that really the problem that we have? Um, well, if not that, what is it? I don't, well, I mean, I think it's it's many things. I think it's a yeah. lot of stuff. I think it's it's um, tactical, it's f- formation, it's, it's psychological at this point, I think. Um we are- yeah, I just think it's... Uh, yeah, but uh, of course, like, we can't just now, because we've all decided Emery out, every game's just like, well, it was just bad because Emery... Like, there are reasons that it's not good, you know? Yeah. And I think we have to look at them. I mean, they are his fault, a lot of them, but it's still worth talking about. No, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I guess to a certain extent. Um, it does feel a bit redundant, though, trying to find reasons as to why things are bad with this coach because they've been bad for quite some time now and we've sort of exhausted um, all of those discussions to to an extent. But when you play at home, in the kind of circumstances that we did after the week that we had with Granit Xhaka, with... Um, you know, the, the the situation over the captaincy, the fact that we didn't really deal with it particularly well as a club. How do you explain the start that we had to the game? Are the team 
inhibited? Are they cautious? Are they overly cautious? Are they nervous? Are they not confident? Because within the first five or ten minutes, I think Wolves had five or six attempts on goal. They mm. dominated the game from from an early point. I think what was really interesting to me anyway was watching it um, and seeing Mesut Ozil drop to the edge of our own box to pick up the ball to give us some measure of control in the game. And, and to be fair, it worked. As soon as he started dropping deeper to pick up the ball and to sort of uh, provide some assurance in possession, because we hadn't had it up to them. Genduzi was giving the ball away here, there and everywhere, and it was just not a particularly uh, good performance from him. You know, we, we got back into the game, but, you know, it was such a bad start. When you're looking for your team to sort of say, OK, come on, guys, let's get together. Let's come out flying. Let's really dictate this game from the very start all of a sudden we're having to scrap our way out of our own half and into their half. I think that's, I think that is to do with system. Like we played a a formation that, you know, when you continually change formation, I guess the price you pay is that you don't seem settled in it. And in that first 15 minutes, I agree with you. We didn't have a plan to escape. We did, or at least if we did, we weren't in any way capable of enacting it. And we, we were a mess and, and Ozil did have to drop deep and did have to try and make things happen to try and get us back into the game. And I think that, yeah, it was unfamiliarity and lack of confidence. And I think I think that does come from continually trying different things, continually asking players to do jobs they're not accustomed to. Uh, and, you know, nobody looked especially comfortable, particularly in that sort of that midfield three of Torreira, Ganduzi and, and Ceballos. Mm. It didn't quite function the way Emery, I guess, wanted it to function. Um, no, I, I don't think so. And, 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 you know, that diamond system, it worked a bit last season, but it, it, when it worked, it was almost always because of the job Aaron Ramsey did. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, what is quite incredible, actually, is if you look at our results under Emery and how they've tailed off and how they've fallen away, it coincides so dramatically with the absence of Ramsey. His presence in the team, I think, you know, I mean, it, it, I think it's more than coincidence. Let me just ask you about Mesut Ozil then. Do you think he carried out the role that you think Emery would have wanted him to play? Because I thought he played well uh, against Wolves in as much as anybody played well. Um and, and was that midfield setup designed to give Ozil the freedom, as we saw earlier in the game, for him to to drop deep and pick up the ball, etc.? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, may, you know, I said that I think Unai's got that inherent cautiousness, and I feel like maybe, maybe he's the fact that he started Ozil in a Premier League game made him think, well, this is what I need to do with the rest of the team to accommodate that. And I do think it did bring a decent performance from Ozil. I don't think you could look at this game and blame him for. Mm for anything that necessarily went wrong. But equally, it's not like we were suddenly creating a load of chances. You know, I mean, the big stat that's caught everyone's eye coming out of this match is our 10 shots, is it? Yeah. Wolves is 25. I mean, that's not great at all. Um, I don't know. why. I mean, what did you make of Ozil's performance? Yeah, I thought he was good. And I thought there was a period in that first half, probably after we scored the goal where where we did have a little bit of dominance in the game. We did create some chances. I think there was a Torreira shot that was blocked. Um, Aubameyang shot over. Lacazette had a shot with his left foot that the keeper saved. I think easily enough, he, he made it look a bit more difficult. Amazingly, that turned out to be our last our last shot um, on target. And that was the 32nd minute. Um, yeah. 
all our shots happened basically in that 15 minute spell and yeah. our goal obviously I, mm. I've got to give credit to Giant Gooner on Twitter who 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 produced the stat that I think we we generated 0.92 xg in that 15 minutes and in the rest of the game we generated 0.12 so right. it was pretty dramatically skewed into that 15 minute period in which we were kind of okay but I all I did feel that we were kind of okay almost in spite of the system than rather than because of it. You know, it was yeah. because Urzel was sort of making things tick. It wasn't necessarily because the shape functioned effectively well. It, it is kind of the story of the season, isn't it? Where, you know, if you look at performances overall and, and our ability to control and dominate games is something we've talked about on the podcast, you know, more than once. We, we, we have these spells in games which look good. But, do, you know, do you think we, we try and seek encouragement or positivity from them because they, they sort of stand out a bit because everything else is so bad? We're looking for the good things. I mean, I agree with you. We were quite good in that, in that little spell, but, but it didn't last very long. And it, it no. wasn't as if we could, you know, having scored the goal and, and like it, it, was, it was such a simple goal. Um, you know, Louise crossed the ball from the right-hand side. Quite what he was doing there, I can't remember. But, you know, fair play. Uh, Lacazette controls it, plays it to Aubameyang first time into the corner or into the into the goal. You know, the quickness of the shot caught out the goalkeeper. And you're thinking, OK, you know, they make that look quite simple. But mm. we, we, we are a team that's unable to build on the goals that we score. Whether it's one goal or two goals, we never seem to be able to really turn the screw. Yeah, and a bad team can have a good spell. I mean, you can be completely outclassed over 90 minutes and still have five or ten minutes that go your way in the course of any game. And, you know, we didn't take advantage of that period, but mm. but that shouldn't be the reason that we didn't win this match. We just weren't able to perform anything like well enough for anything like long enough. Uh, mm. It was a, a, a decent... Goal. I mean, you know, Lacazette and Aubameyang combine and it's a really nice finish from Aubameyang, takes it really early on his left foot. And you kind of think, OK, we're away now. Let's see what else we can do. And we had that little 10 minutes, which I don't think we should go overboard about, but it was sort of, it was fine. It was acceptable. It was good yeah. enough. Uh, but our, our inability to maintain that is pretty damning. And Wolves really came back into the game at the end of the first half. And in the second half, genuinely... I mean, there's so little that is positive to say about Arsenal's performance, I think. I don't think there's very much at all, to be honest. Um, you know, again, the second half started with Wolves coming out on top and dominating the game and dominating shots. And, you know, you've already um, given us the, the 25 shots to mm. 10 statistic, which people will, some people will say, that doesn't mean anything. You know, they only scored one goal, but, you know, when, when you when you allow the opposition that many chances, it goes back to the Watford game when we let them have 30-odd chances. You know, you're, you're, the odds of conceding are much higher the more often you let the opposition get a side of goal. I mean, that's that's fairly obvious. Yeah. What, what did you make of the changes? Because this is where I, th you know, I think we can delve into this a little bit. Lacazette for Martinelli on 60 Minutes. Do we do we assume that there's a bit of a fitness issue there with Lacazette? Maybe, maybe, but I, I would still question the identity of Martinelli coming on. I know he's been fantastic in the cups, but you know you have got Nicola Pepe there, you mm -hmm. know, seventy-five million pounds worth of signing, who does just appear to have turned a corner and sort of slightly found his groove. So you know, I thought it was a 
a surprising change, let's put it like that. Okay, uh, particularly as you're putting on Martinelli in a, I guess, an unfamiliar-ish position. He was playing as one of two strikers, but playing yeah. more to the right-hand side. Um, you know, what, what struck me late in the game was, was Martinelli back defending in our left-back position, um, mm-hmm. which I found thoroughly depressing. You've mentioned Pepe there. So, Saka for Torreira. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, if I'm honest, when I look at these subs, I see a manager who seems to be protecting a point as much as going for three points. Yeah. And I know Saka is ostensibly a, an attacking player, but, you know, he is someone who has played left wing back, who, who is defensively intense, let's put it like that. And Saka and Martinelli were a way of maintaining the press and you know, looking more at the defensive aspect of the game than the offensive aspect. And I, and I think if I try and sort of second guess what Unai Emery was thinking, he probably didn't feel, and this is for my money wrong, but he, I imagine, might have been uncomfortable with having Ozil and Pepe on the field together because he might have been, you know, wary of what they offer defensively. And I think that's mm. compounded by the fact that I bet Unai Emery did not, after seeing what happened to Granit Xhaka and the reaction to all of that in the last home game, I wouldn't be surprised if he was nervous to take Meza Ozil off that's a for really, the reception he might have received. That's a really good point. It yeah. did sort of occur to me during the game, but I forgot about it in the aftermath. And and yeah, I, I think you might be onto something there because... Um, yeah, had he in a game where, particularly when when Wolves had got one back, and it was one one, had he taken off Ozil, I think it would have it would have really gone down badly with with the crowd. Um, yeah, but so I think that that impacted upon the changes he was prepared to make. Yeah. I, if I'm honest, I think not bringing Pepe on on that situation is madness. Really, I well, really do. Okay, yeah, the, okay, I, I I think it. It is too, but I also think it's madness that with seven or eight minutes to go and we need a goal to win the game, that he takes off Tierney and puts on Kolasinac. Mm. And I think I said it in the blog, that is definitely the change of a manager who is afraid to lose the point he has rather than one willing to take the risk of, uh, the risks necessary rather, to to get all three points because yeah I mean maybe we're used to it from the Wenger era just throw on all the strikers throw on all the forwards you can you can play you know end up with Theo Walcott playing at right back or or Aaron Ramsey playing at right back or whatever it might be but you get as many attacking talents and attacking threats on the pitch and you bombard the opposition Maybe you can see the goal on the break, maybe. But, you know, go for it. Have a go at at taking all three points. And I suppose what made it more um, frustrating for me was that in Callum Chambers, Socrates and David Luiz, he had three central defenders there. He could easily have gone to a back three to put an extra attacking player on. Mm. Um. Yeah, he Did, could. could. And he, even if he's worried about Tierney, there's there's no reason he can't drop Saka in there and as a kind of overlapping fullback and put an attacking player on. Yeah, it, it one of the things I think that hasn't really been spoken about this season, and one of the small small elements of mitigation for Emery is there have been games where because he's taken this stance with Özil and he's not used him in the squad, when he's looked to make attacking changes, I have sometimes felt for him that his attacking options have been 
all kids. You know, it's been Martinelli, mm. Nelson, Willock, uh, Saka. You know, and that's not always ideal when you're trying to find someone to make the breakthrough to win a game. But in this match, he's got Pepe sat there. Mm. And Pepe, if this was two weeks ago and Pepe was still kind of struggling to find his feet, I might have a bit more sympathy for it. But given that he banged in two free kicks, you know, in the, in the Europa League, then, you know, kicked on from that and has been basically one of our better players over the last three or four games. I, I just found it bewildering to not use him. Mm. And it is because he was afraid to lose. And to a certain extent, I mean, well, I think we probably would have lost, to be honest, if we'd gone for it because we were such a mess defensively. But that shouldn't be the case. You know, that's not that's not good enough, really. And Bernd Leno made a couple of pretty good saves in this match. I mean, it could have been worse than it was. They had a very good chance late on. Was it Jota as well who, yeah. who went through even so? Yeah. So even with those conservative switches, we were still mm. all over the place at the back. How many times have we said that on this podcast? Like it, so could, many. it could have been worse. And I, I'm not even talking about games that we've lost or drawn. Like games that we won last season, I can distinctly remember sitting here going, wow, if they had taken their chances, chances are we wouldn't have had three points there or, or a, a win would have been a draw or a draw would mm. have been a loss. It's a, it's a, running, yeah. it's a running theme. Um, and look at the Villa game this season. Mm. Look at the Watford game. I mean, they both could have been worse results. We, we allowed too many <laughs> shots. There are too many dice rolling and eventually they'll go against you. I mean, we got a point from this game. It could have been worse than that. Undoubtedly, we could have lost this match. It's not good, though. It's not, you know... Um, no, no, no. There's nothing to celebrate no, about no, 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 no. taking that point. And we desperately needed these three points. I mean, you know, I'm sure we'll come on to the league table and the implications of that. But we have dropped big, big points in the last week or so at home. You know, those Palace and Wolves games really uh, having lost at Sheffield United, having mm. two points at Watford, they, they needed to be wins. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, two points from the last nine. And when, you know, if that's, if you're playing, if you're playing Chelsea, Man City and Liverpool and you take two points from nine and you can maybe compartmentalise that or rationalise that, you know, because you've, um, you've picked up a couple of draws against top level mm. opposition. But when those two points have come from games with all due ex uh, respect, et cetera, et cetera, against Sheffield United, against Crystal Palace and against Wolves. And, you know, I'm not taking anything for granted here whatsoever. I'm, I'm fully aware of the limitations of this team and maybe there's a recalibration needed in terms of what we, what we can expect from fixtures like this. But I think if we if we work off the bigger picture of what we want Arsenal to be and, you know, what our ambitions are and what our, our goals are for this season, these are games from which we should have taken far more points than we actually did. Um, mm. So, you know, just another really dis disappointing day, disappointing performance, um, disappointing management. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's... Uh well, I suppose a bit of a disappointing aftermath too in that what we've been greeted by is, you know, noises from the club that they sort of, they're not in that position, are they, where they want to make a change? And, I, you know, you ran a poll on Twitter which had quite staggering results, really. I mean... Yeah, uh, what's, I must, uh, it's closed now, so I must just look at the final, the final tally here. Um, okay, so the, the, 
the poll was whether we should sack him now, mm. whether we should give him a bit more time, or whether we should give him until the end of the season. We had a total of 59,107 votes. 87% feel that we should sack him now. 6% want to give him a bit more time, and 7%, who I assume are, are fans of other clubs thoroughly enjoying Arsenal's misery, want to give him until the end of the season. Um, so that's, You didn't leave a, give him a three-year deal option on there, Andrew. You've yeah. got to have Remain on the ballot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, God, let's not. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, look, that tells you, I, I realise it's social media. I know it's not fully representative of all, all Arsenal fans, but I think across the... Um, how many followers do I have on Twitter? Um, Here we go. Humble brag. No, I just don't look. Okay, so 318,000. I reckon there's a fair representation of, of, of Arsenal fans in terms of ages, experience, demographics, football yeah. opinions, you know, all of those things. So I think it's a pretty fair representation of certainly my followers. I can't say that it's it's uh, it's to do with all all Arsenal fans, but it's, you know that's conclusive. Number. Yeah, yeah, sixty thousand is a, a bit, I mean, it's an Emirates Stadium. Mm. It's worth of fans. Well, you, uh, I was going to ask you though. I mean, you you, yeah. you talk about noises coming from inside the club about how they're you know there's still faith in Unai Emery and and what have you. How how do you view that? Um, because they can't be blind to what's going on on the pitch. Leaving aside, you know. Um, a, a Twitter poll or anything like it, you know, they'll be aware yeah. that Arsenal have only won six of our last 18 Premier League games since since uh, April last year. Um, maybe it coincides with that Aaron Ramsey injury. Who knows? Maybe. Um, <laughs> maybe. But, um, you know, the end of last season was bad. The start of this season um, has been bad. Uh, I know we're just six points off the the top four but you know we're, we're a third of the way through the season and if you look at the the, the form through a, a you know a long lens it is it's just a continuation of what we got last season which ultimately left us in a position we did not want to be in which was outside the top four and not uh, in the Champions League so mm. do you think it's 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 them saying the only thing they really can say publicly that yes, basically I do. I mean, I think I said as much last week. It is frustrating when we as fans are like, come on, a change needs to happen here. And you get briefed something like, you know, the club are content with the way things are, that, you know, they don't want to rush into anything. You know, that is frustrating as a supporter because you find yourself tearing your hair out, mm. well, what I've got left of it, and sort of saying, what are they talking about? What progress can they see? I mean, that is just platitudes is at this point. They must be aware of the wider problem and mm. that will be true until the day they decide it's not you know until the day they decide they're going to move Emery on they will say something like you know he he's in you know he's got our backing yeah. they're not going to turn around and say to anybody in the press to be honest we're thinking of letting him go uh, a lot rides on the Leicester game it's sort of 50-50 for him at this point yeah now I still think there is a, a, a case to be mounted that why wait at all? Oh, yeah, sure. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. it, you know, it, I don't want my club to be a club that acts on the basis of a, a Twitter poll. You know, nobody wants I no, think, but that. We want them to be reach their own objective assessment. 
but I can't imagine what the positive things that they see that gives them faith to to wait are. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're kicking the can down the road. Um, mm, yes. He, he feels like a dead man walking. Maybe we can pull out a few more of these little metaphors yeah. uh, between <laughs> now and the end of the show. But, you know, it, it does feel like delaying the inevitable when, when it comes to, to what happens next. Um, I think you made a point to me um, on WhatsApp that maybe the international break is the right time, yeah. an opportune time to do it in the sense that, okay, we've got a Europa League game in midweek, which we are, you know, expected to win against Vittoria, um, even though it wasn't quite as convincing um, as we might have liked in the, in the previous game against them. Mm-hmm. But then you've got a trip to Leicester. So what do you do? Do you parachute somebody into Leicester? Do you give Leicester away to your new caretaker? Or if you're promoting from within, do you make that his first game when he hasn't really had any time to prepare the team because they'll come back from Portugal you know, on Thursday, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's not a great deal of time. So it might be a case that when the international break kicks in after that Leicester game, that's the time where... Um, they might do it because it, it then gives you the opportunity for for somebody else uh, to bed in and to prepare the team um, for for the first game back after the the international break, which is can you remember off the top of your head? Uh, Southampton at home. Southampton at home. Okay. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> which which is a you know a quite a cushy first game for somebody potentially. Um, I, I mean, I suppose I did make that point to you on WhatsApp. The only thing to say against it, well, there are two things. Number one, A, change it before Leicester potentially to give yourself more of a shot in that game. I yeah. Mean, I mean, they are three nine points. points. Mm. Are they three points or six no, points? No, six now, yeah, six. So it would be nine if we lost there, um, which is a significant gap to overcome. The other thing is, I suppose it depends how many players actually go away, but in the international break, I suppose the theory is, oh, you get time to work with the squad. But if a good chunk of them disappear, mm. uh, maybe you don't get that time. Some of them don't get back till the Friday before the, the, the Southampton game. <clears throat> but I think probably for the first time in a while, and I might be wrong about this, we haven't got masses of internationals in this squad as compared to sort of previous vert squads. Yeah. I think, I think we've got less. So maybe it will be a bit better on that front. Yeah. Maybe. I mean... There seems to be kind of, I'm not, not going to say there's resistance to the idea of sacking a manager, but but we've not we've not had too much of that at Arsenal in the last twenty two years. Yeah, um, not, and, not at and, all. You know, that's not just one generation, but that's you know a number of generations of Arsenal fans who've grown up with this sort of idea that that faith in a manager and longevity is is the the right way to do it. And I think if you can find a manager who can bring you success and style and trophies, um, you know, over a long period of time, why wouldn't anyone take that? But but the reality is these days we're not appointing managers anymore. You know, mm. we're appointing head coaches, and they're. Their life cycles are are much shorter than somebody like Arsene Wenger or or Alex Ferguson at Manchester United. That's the reality of the way modern football works. And you know, clubs go through coaches a because you know they're not doing a good job, or b you know they go through a coach because he does a good job, and a bigger club comes along and he takes him. So this is something that we're going to have to go through. Um, more than once over the next um, twenty or twenty-two years. Um, mm-hmm. 
So is that something we just have to get our heads around, that, that there's nothing intrinsically wrong with sacking a manager if it's going badly? I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, look, judging by that poll, I think 90% of, of, of listeners probably agree with you. But I, I think that maybe why it's a bit different at Arsenal is, you know, you said something in your blog this morning that really struck a chord with me where you said, Unai Emery will be fine. Yeah. If he is sacked from Arsenal, he will be fine. And I think that's an important thing to remember. You know, we were in a situation with Arsene Wenger where I think we were so invested in him as a person and could see how dearly he loved this job that there was almost a guilt factor there. Do you know what I mean? And and that's not at all to... sounds a bit patronising, really. It's not meant to. But I can only speak for myself, but I feared for Arsene a bit. I was, you know, I, I was worried at times about what the future might hold for him or how, you know, the vagaries of the fan you know, vacillating mm. opinion would, would affect him, would hurt him. And I think I, I, you know, that allowed, that sort of slightly governed how I felt about the whole thing. But this is a different situation. Unai Emery is a professional coach. He will move somewhere else and be fine. He's managed a great deal of clubs already and there'll be, there'll be plenty more. I, I think that was a really salient point to make, to just say, look, this is what happens in football. People get paid off. And they get another job, and that's okay. Yeah, exactly. He will be fine. Disappointed? Undoubtedly. Hurt? Perhaps. You know, but, you know, he's a professional football guy. He's been in the game for a long time. So, you know, as a player, as a coach, as a manager, he knows how it works. It's not Mm. necessarily, it's not personal. This is just about football and it's about results. And I think, you know, he'll take some time off. He and his staff will get, you know, their contracts paid out and he'll go back to Spain and I think he'll get a, a, a job anywhere in Spain. You know, he's not going to get Barcelona, he's not going to get Real Madrid and he's not going to go back to, you know, uh, Valencia for sure. Um, but, you know, there are clubs in Spain who will quite happily take him on and clubs across Europe who will quite happily take him on. So I don't feel like we should feel guilty uh, for wanting a change at Arsenal you know, on a human level, it's ter- it's sad for anybody to lose their job. But at the same time, if the job that you're doing isn't up to the standards or isn't, um, if you're not achieving what you've been brought in to achieve, what el- what's the alternative? You can't mm-hmm. just keep giving somebody time and time and time when they're proving that, you know, that they're not up to, um, they're not up to the task, you know, he'll be fine. And we'll move on, and maybe the next guy will be the right guy, and maybe he won't be the right guy, and we will just go through this again. And I don't understand why that's really... There's nothing classless, for example, about sacking a manager. If you think that the decision is the right decision, and it's the best decision for the football club, then that's what we should be concerned with. It shouldn't really bother us what happens to Unai Emery next. No, I mean, look at Bayern Munich. They're they're a big club and they've acted like a big club uh, this morning by... Was it this morning? Just yeah, somebody said to me that, that he, he he resigned, but I, I guess it's a case that he jumped before he got pushed. Yes, I mean, it was on the cards, uh, irregardless. And, you know, that, that shows you, you know, they aren't afraid to make those changes happen when they need to, even when they're coming off the back of a relatively 
successful season. Mm. Uh, we're not coming off the back of a successful season. I agree with you. Unai would be fine. I think in his own head, he, you know, he said after the Wolves game, well, it kind of went to plan, you know, tactically. I mean, mm. we can all take issue with that. But I think as far as he's concerned, he'll feel like, well, you know, I was kind of doing what I set out to do. Which, yeah. I mean, it's kind of bewildering. It, I'll tell you a weird it, thing about Unai Emery, which I can't believe, but his win percentage as Arsenal manager is better significantly than his win percentage with Sevilla, with Valencia, and also better significantly than the win percentages of Arsene Wenger, George Graham, and pretty much any Arsenal manager of the modern era. But is that is that not because the sample size is so much smaller? You know, George Graham was in charge for, you know, uh, however long he was manager for, what was it, eight years? Arsene yeah. Wenger, 22 years. Um you know, I think it's the Europa League. I the think Europa League, I was going to say, yeah, has definitely skewed skewed that. I wonder what it's like in Premier League terms, um, the, the win percentage. Yeah, um, fair point. But but what I mean yeah. is he'll walk away being like, well, you know, I'm still Uno Emery. I've still got this CV. Yeah. He'll pick up a job somewhere in Europe. And yeah. do you know what? He might do well in it. Like, you, sometimes there's a weird alchemy to coaches at clubs that is either right or wrong. It's clearly wrong for Emery at Arsenal. Yeah. But it's not to say it won't happen for well, him elsewhere. Yeah, it's, it's the same with players as well, isn't it? You know, you look at yeah. a player at a club sometimes and you think, what the shit is this guy doing here? And then he goes to a different club and the the, the environment is right for him to thrive, the, the coach is right for him, the position he's playing in is right for him, etc., etc. You know, sometimes the wrong man is in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I feel kind of like that's what we are with Unai Emery. An interesting sort of sidebar to... Um, to the Kovac sacking at, at, or d dismissal or re mm. resignation at Bayern Munich is that there were stories about how the dressing room was not united and the players had some serious doubts over him. And over the course of the weekend, we've seen stories like that from uh, from Arsenal, that within yeah. the Arsenal dressing room, there are concerns about um, about the way Emery is, uh, about his tactics, about the way they're set up, about how cautious we are, about the way we play, etc., etc., and I think when you when you start getting stories like that leaking out, I mean there was there was um, you know a story last week about how um, yeah some of the players were, were taking the Mickey out of him, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. You know when you're hearing that kind of stuff, you're really, really, really in in end game territory because it's I'd liken it to did you ever have a teacher who just could not control the classroom? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah. yeah. And, and once students realize, like there were teachers who, when they walked into the classroom, when I was in school, the minute they walked into the classroom, you shut your mouth mm. and you were silent because they had this air of authority and air of discipline, or you respected that teacher and you didn't want to muck around. But there were other teachers who, when they came in, you know, would have to spend five minutes going, C come on, guys, calm down, you know, shut up, stop talking, take your books out. And they just could never, ever do it. And there was no way, there was no way that they could ever impart any authority within the classroom because everybody knew what kind of a, a character they were. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that could be what's going on a bit here with, with Emery. We had a teacher at school, one teacher, my friend Tom, we must have been about 16. He, in, while the teacher was talking at the front of the class, he was sat at his desk, the teacher. This boy, Tom, he stood up. He walked to the front of this class. 
he bent over in front of the teacher and farted in his direction. And Unai Emery is very much in danger of becoming that teacher. <laughs> the Arsenal players are farting in the general direction of Unai Emery. Is that what you're saying? I'm just, I don't know. But yeah, I, I mainly wanted to share that anecdote because I, I don't think I thought about it for about 20 years and it just came back to me. I think he completely got away with it. I mean, that's the thing. Once discipline, once people sense an opportunity to, you know, to, to, to push the mm. line, they will. And, and yeah, those stories that are coming out of the dressing room are concerning. I think as well, when you throw the sort of granite shaka issue, which we've not talked about today, sort of onto the fire, you know, that has also sparked, mm. I think, some divisions within the dressing room. People react differently to to him and his conduct in that situation. So all, all in all, it is uh, it is a real mess. And I really do think we're talking with sort of certainty at this point about a question of when, not if, for Unai Emery. Mm. I mean... I would just be staggered. I can't think of a situation where a manager has felt, you know, quite so embattled and justifiably so and 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 come out of it. I really, really can't think of too many. You know, the, the fan sentiment is so much on one side. I don't really see a way back for him. And no. Yeah. That, and that kind of makes every fixture a bit of a zombie fixture until then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, Saturday against Wolves was a, another nail in the coffin. There's mm. quite a lot of nails in there now. It's like, yes. how many more nails do we need? I mean, how do you feel about that? Because, you know, I think you said a few weeks ago you were ready for a change to happen. Do you empathise at all with the board's position. It strikes me that we're talking about it being fine sack a manager and that not necessarily being something that falls outside the values of the club. And I think most supporters understand that. It strikes me that it's the executive who really must grasp that for the change to occur. Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose the one thing that we um, often fail to mention and, you know, I'll hold my hands up and, and say I'm guilty of this um, is that when we talk about um, Emery not being the right man or, or sacking him or bringing in somebody else. It's the who that somebody else is that becomes True. like kind of the irrelevant part. The first part is like just sack him because this is not working and this is not good enough. But the reality, of course, is that you do yeah. have to have somebody to take over. And, and maybe that's part of what the delay is. Maybe they're sounding out some candidates in the background. Maybe mm -hmm. they're having discussions about who they think is the, the right man to take us forward. And I, you know, I, I guess we've got a question or two about this, um, which we can say for the second, for the second part. I just feel that we're in danger of losing points that by the end of the season, we'll look back and think, fuck, we should have done something sooner. Yeah, we're That's, already doing that, aren't we? Yeah. And the Leicester game, you know, it is a six-pointer, really, because mm. they appear to be very much in the race for this top four. Uh, and the results of those matches against them are going to really be a, play a big part in determining our league position. So, uh, you know, yeah. they're, they're going to let Emery go through that match. I mean, clearly from what they're saying, there's not going to be a change super imminently, as in this week. And... I, I do wonder if we might live to regret that. Of course, you know, you get into that mindset of anyone but Unai and that's 
you know, who knows if a new man could come in and actually get something there. But given that you do get a bit of a bounce sometimes when you get a managerial change, it's sort of worth a shot at this point because mm. what we're doing at the moment just isn't working. No. I mean, the, the longer it goes on, the more pressing it becomes and the more it becomes an issue for, for the board. Mike, at this point, it's not really on Unai Emery, is it? Because we're all... No. Not all. Okay, again, I'm not speaking on behalf of anybody, but, um, you know, we know, what, we know what we've got with him and what he's capable of and what he's capable of delivering. So uh, he will continue to do that for as long as he is allowed to continue in the job. That's a reasonable yeah. assumption to make. So then the question becomes, who do, who do you point the finger at? Do you point the finger at the guy who's doing what he does because that's who he is and that's what he does? Or do you start looking above that and say, look, you guys have got to, you guys have got to take some of the responsibility here because, you know, if, if you keep letting him do this, then ultimately it's going to come back and bite us in the arse, um, you know, next May when we're looking up the table and thinking, fuck, we're not in the top four and that's going to be a disaster because Arsenal yeah, th- have to finish in the top four this season. That's it. I mean, you know, what would it be? Four years in the Europa League? I mean, at that point, you are financially and in terms of status a Europa League team. And that's an unpleasant prospect. I think you're absolutely right. Unai Emery is going to keep being Unai Emery. And to a certain point, I mean, you can be frustrated by that and angry about it. I I get it. But he is just being who he is. So you have to look to the people above him to to intervene and make that... make that change I think it's interesting isn't it because we had all the noise in the summer about the ownership and uh, to a certain extent the executive direction with the the we care do you thing and that was kind of pacified by a a good summer of transfer business but also can I if you don't mind me cutting in there also communication there was also um, whether you were on board with it or not there was stronger communication from the owner from Josh Kroenke mm. and from the club itself. So I think that as well is a, is a factor here because what we're, you know, there's been radio silence from the club since the Wolves game, not even any player reaction. Um, so people are kind of filling in the blanks a bit themselves. True, that's a really good point. And I, But I, what I was going to go and say was just that the goodwill the club sort of earned themselves there is on the line here. Because actually, what, one of the main reasons people grew frustrated with KSE and their stewardship of the club, I think, under Arsene Wenger, is a sense that they were kind of happy for mediocre performance to persist mm. and that they were averse to making a bold change and a bold step in a new direction. Uh, and I think if they indulge Uno Emery for too long, those accusations will swirl again. So, yeah. you know, from their perspective, I think it is in their interests to to be decisive here and to be forward thinking. And I and I think very few people, even those people who might say it's not quite right to sack Emery right now, I think very few, even of them, would suggest mm. oh, he's certainly the man for the future. Yeah. Look, we've got some questions which I think kind of expand on some of the points that we've made in this and some of the other stories that have been going on over the weekend, in particular yes. the links to to the evil man. Um, so <laughs> let's take a little break here and we'll come back with the questions and more in part two. Hold up. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog, also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog, and on the Arsblog Discord server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon, which you can be uh, by going to patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. Um, we do have questions which are going to kind of continue on a theme. So do you want to go first or will I go first or... Uh, have you got one lined up about the nasty man? Because if so, that seems a good place. To uh, do I have one lined up about the nasty man? There were there were lots. Um, I'm just trying to find one here. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of like, would you take Mourinho if blah, blah, blah. Um, there are yeah, also a lot of people who are very vehemently opposed to the idea of Jose Mourinho taking over. Let's see. Um I mean, just to throw it out there, just to spark the discussion, here's uh, Londoner under, uh, underscore 86, Jake Well on Twitter. Mm. Uh, what would you prefer, Emery for another season and a half or Mourinho? I know you don't like either. I'm all in on serial winner and defensive mastermind, Jose. Get on side. <laughs> I, to be honest, when it comes to getting on side there, I'm going to be like Theo Walcott. I, I'm perennially offside. Addy by your levels of, of offside yeah. here, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I can't get on board with it at all. Uh, so I, you know, while we, on the subject of Twitter polls, I think I put one out. I can't remember. The question was something like, would you be happy with the appointment of Jose Mourinho as Arsenal manager? And I think about 30% of respondees came back with yes. Mm. And I was shocked that was so high. I was really shocked. Um I kind of thought he was persona non grata at Arsenal and that was sort of a, a consensus. Um, but it's amazing what uh, what a bad <laughs> run can do, I suppose. Sure. And like you said in part one, we're into a place where people kind of feel like any alternative is better. But it is, of course, a false dichotomy, isn't it? We don't have to have Mourinho or Emery. Yeah, it's weird. Like the, so much of the discussion this weekend, is been, it's almost like... It's a binary choice. You mm. keep Emery or you get Mourinho, as if there are no other candidates, no other options available to us, no other managers out there you know, who, who could do a job. And I think it's interesting, isn't it, that Arsenal, despite the fact that they've been um, officially very silent over the weekend following the Wolves, I was going to say Wolves' defeat, um, because that's kind of what it feels like, but the Wolves' draw have been quite strongly briefing in the background against the idea that, that Jose Mourinho is being lined up to take 
the job, that he mm. dined with Raul Sanyehi, the pictures that were doing the rounds of Mourinho at the Emirates last week, as I think we said, it's not the director's box. He was not in the director's box. He was in a private box. He was with a dark-haired man. Raul is a dark-haired man. But there are many dark-haired men out there, and it yeah. was not Raul Sanyehi. So Arsenal are very much distancing themselves from Mourinho. And, uh, of course, you have to... You have to take into account where a lot of this stuff is coming from. Um, Mourinho's PR department uh, in the shape of Duncan Castles did a story in the Sunday Times from which a lot of this um, a lot of this is coming. So it feels like it's Mourinho positioning himself or reminding people that he's out there. He's been out of work or out of a managerial job for quite a while now. So it's time to get back into, into the world of work again. But... Um, from at least from what we can understand from the Arsenal point of view, this is not what they're considering. Yeah, they couldn't be more sort of categorical on it. You know, in terms of that report that they had dinner not being true, and uh, Raoul and Jose not being in contact. So, I think we can. Those of us who are opposed to the idea can take a little bit of uh, solace from that. But I, I do think his name being in the mix sort of raises interesting discussion of, you know, what sort of manager should Arsenal theoretically be looking at? And I think, you know, even if you set aside the kind of personal enmity that exists between Mourinho and Arsenal, and there are so many instances that that contribute to that, you know, the whole mm. voyeur thing, the specialist and failure thing, you know, he's not a character who has endeared himself to the club. Even if you set that aside, I don't think he would be the right kind of manager for this club. And I, I think that's because for all my for all my criticism of Unai Emery and all my concerns about him, I think that I actually do think that Raul and I guess to an extent Edu, I, I think that the direction they're taking this club in is a positive one in terms of, you know, making use of the academy, development of young players. And just Mourinho is not that sort of coach and never has been. So I don't see him fitting into that set up mm. at all. No, he, he doesn't really trust young players. And you look at some of the players who came through Chelsea when he was there, you know, De Bruyne and Salah are the two very obvious ones who, who mm. went away from Mourinho and came back to the Premier League and absolutely flourished. Now, maybe they were too young, maybe. But, you know, the, the talent and the quality was there and, and under Mourinho, Chelsea let that go. I think, it, you know, the club have, have been very clear about what they want um, and what they wanted from Unai Emery, you know, uh, you know, build on the platform that Arsene Wenger created, uh, stylish, uh, attacking, exciting football. Emery referenced it himself. You know, Arsenal are known for their style of play. Um, you know, if you're if you're looking for somebody with a football philosophy to fit into that, it is not Jose Mourinho. And I think. You know, people make the argument, well, he is a winner and he has won things. Yes, absolutely he has. There's no question he has. But um, in recent years, the 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 aura that made him the so-called or the self-proclaimed special one has, has definitely gone. Um, you look at what happened with, with Chelsea when he went back and he was fired because they won or they lost nine of their first 16 matches. 
in that last season that he had there. Manchester United, he was um, he was sacked after seven wins in the first 17 games. That's the yeah. kind of form that he was producing at Manchester United after spending a fortune, after alienating the dressing room. You know, he is a toxic influence within a dressing room. It does not last. The sort of hero worship that the players at Chelsea had for him in his first um in his first season or his first spell there, you know, the likes of Lampard, Terry, et cetera, et cetera, where he took that really expensively assembled squad off Ranieri, built on it and made them a, you know, a superb team. There's no question about that, but he doesn't have that impact on players anymore. He doesn't have that relationship with players anymore. You look at the way things were at Real Madrid. It was, it was toxic there. Um, I, you know, I can't speak to Inter because I can't really um, remember, um, you know, he he doesn't have the same influence that he did as as a football coach. I think he's completely at odds with with whatever football philosophy Arsenal have um, have tried to put in place. And also, I think we're we're at a period now where where as a club and as a fan base, we need some harmony. We need some unity. We need some togetherness. We need everybody um, pulling in the same direction. You know in the stands, um, away from the stands, on the pitch, off the pitch. He's not a guy who will do that. Appointing him will cause the kind of division that we need to heal. It will It will just be... I just don't understand how anybody could think it would be a good idea at this moment in time for Arsenal to appoint this guy. His football is old. It's outdated. He might be a smart coach and a smart man and analyze the game well when he's sitting there in a chair uh, in Sky, on Sky Sports, but it's just not the right approach, you know, from, yeah. from, from personality-wise, football-wise, and in the, the very um, specific context that Arsenal are going to be appointing a new, uh, a new coach, he is just not the right guy. I don't, just will not get on board. Yeah, I am inclined to agree. I think, you know, he's had quite a toxic influence at his recent clubs. And, you know, the expenditure tends to be massive as well. It's not necessarily something we're in a position to do or or should be doing at the expense of our young players. Um, You know, if you look at when Mourinho arrived at Chelsea, it was 2004. It's a long time ago now, Mm. 15 years ago. And I do think, yes, he fostered an incredibly close relationship with that group of players and I think with the players at Inter too there was that slight sense of they would you know run through walls for him but that was almost a different generation of footballers at this point I mean some of those players are managers now in the Premier League yeah. and, and and I don't think Mourinho has really managed that you know with this younger generation in his last couple of jobs we've we've looked on at what he did at Manchester United and laughed you know we were saying yeah. keep Joe saying the job we were loving the sort of toxicity the division uh, the the poor football they were playing i think to wish that upon ourselves would be madness at this point yeah um i do think that throwing his name in the mix sort of does raise an interesting sort of sidebar discussion of given how important it is to get back into the Champions League as soon as possible, would there be merit in not necessarily Mourinho, but finding a a short-term coach who, you know, could was more necessarily a results guy than an identity guy to sort of get us over the line? I think that's Mm. an interesting debate because, you know... (laughs) We need to get back in the Champions League, but I also agree with you. We also need someone who 
connects the club, joins the club up, makes it feel somewhat more harmonious. Um, and of course, you can find a manager who does both, but that's not easy. No, but then, you know, that's not why, um, that's why they're paid the big money. That's why they're paying sure. the money to go do it. Um, just while we're on this then, because it's a sort of follow-up question, um, let me have a look here and see if I can find it. It comes from Padge, who's at Padge Roar um, <laughs> on Twitter. And he says, Brendan Rogers, Arteta, Freddie, Henri are some options. If you could choose our next manager, who would it be? And who do you think the club will actually go for? I mean, this is weird. This is tricky now because, I mean, so at this point I should address the fact that a few weeks ago, only a few weeks ago, maybe a couple of months, I put the name of uh, Ralph Hassenhustle into the mix as Arsenal manager. <laughs> Shortly before Southampton embarked on a truly diabolical run culminating in a 9-0 home defeat to Leicester. Um, some would say the perfect audition, really. Uh so you don't want to say anyone in case you have, you know, you the, the curse of James. I don't want to apply the jinx. I mean, what I would say is I think that when you when you come out with an opinion like that, you, to a certain extent, you at this, in this situation, you have to back it. You know, if I just say, well, I was definitely wrong, it's too much of a climb down. I think he probably is a, a capable coach, but obviously it isn't working for him and he's not going to be a contender. Um, who would be in the mix? I mean, I had a, this question just on one of those... Uh, Candidates. I'd be interested yeah. in your thoughts on it. This is from Josh, who says, he's at Josh Robinson 87. I really, really, really want Mikel Arteta. Do you think we could get him mid-season? And I would just add to that, do you think we could get him at all, given mm. what happened last time? Um, really good question. I think you've got more chance of getting someone like Mikel Arteta mid-season than you would do getting you know a manager who's in situ at an, another club. Right. Um, because he's an assistant. Um, I'm not saying the, the Pep Guardiola thing at, at City is coming to its end or anything like that. But, you know, he's been there for, what, two two years now? Is it two and a half years mm -hmm. as an assistant under Guardiola? I think he's probably ready in his own mind to take a job. Of course, I'm just speculating here. But, you know, you would think that given he was close to the Arsenal job 18 months ago, you know, another 18 months of working with Pep and, and, and gaining that experience, I would suggest he's ready. I'd say he's, he's probably gettable as well. Um, we may have to pay, but I think that's the case. If you're going to bring in any manager from any club in, in mid season or who has a contract, you're going to have to pay um, to get that guy in. I think he would be a very interesting candidate. You know, there was a, a good interview on the official website, the Arsenal website, where he talked about his football philosophy and what, what he would be like as a manager. And, and yeah. you read it and you think, man, he's saying the right things. And of course, Unai Emery said the right things when he arrived or, or many of the right things, um, uh, but but they didn't turn out to be true. I just feel like a guy like Arteta, who, who's grown up in the Barcelona Academy, um, who probably has really clear ideas about the way he wants his football team to play. He's young, he's fresh, he has new ideas. Maybe he's got new ideas. But, you know, he's he's at that stage of his career where, you know, he, he is probably ready to take a step forward. He's worked with Wenger, he's worked with, um, with Guardiola, he's worked with David Moyes, 
of course. Um, I, I think he probably is gettable. I think he would be a very interesting candidate for the job. Um, and, and we know he was he was really close last time around. Whether that's affected our ability to get him, whether he feels like you know he, he doesn't want to take the job because of that. And I think you know he's a well-respected Arsenal player or mm. ex-Arsenal player, but not necessarily like what you would call a, a real legend. You know what I mean? He wouldn't have, which I think might be to his advantage in a way. Right. Um, you know, the Henri or Vieira or somebody like that has much more cachet as, a, as an Arsenal legend. The other thing I hear about Arteta is that, you know, he is quite... Um, Maybe his public I, persona doesn't doesn't reflect it, but I believe he's a bit of a spiky character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah. everybody, not everyone uh, likes, uh, likes him. him. Yeah, yeah. And I think that could be an important part of of what um, a, a new coach brings in as well. Like, not everybody likes him because he doesn't want to be liked by everybody. Is my read um, from what I've you know heard from people. So, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Pep himself is a bit like that. You know, very yeah, spiky and absolutely can be, can be difficult. Absolutely. I, I, yeah, I wonder. I mean, I should just say on Arteta, there seems to be a bit of confusion about what happened with him the first time round because there were some quotes from him that slightly muddied it. But I, I do think that he wanted the Arsenal job yeah. and it was not offered to him. I think he would have happily taken it. Now, the man who sort of made that decision not to offer it to him is no longer really at the club in Ivan Gazidis. So I'm not sure how big a factor that would be. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I, when, where it becomes interesting is if you look at that list of candidates and you start weighing up the respective merit, merits of Arteta against, say, Freddie Umberg, you know, both yeah. guys for whom it would be their first job. I mean, do you have a, a gut feeling between those two? Um, I don't really. Um, on the basis that it's their, each of them it will be their first job, you would say that probably Arteta's got the edge in terms of experience and, and the kind of coach that he's been working for seems very um, compatible with the sort of football that Arsenal purport to want to play, you know? Mm. Um, mm. But of course, Freddie did a great job with the under-23s. He's very well liked. Um, he knows those players. He knows those young players in particular. Um yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, I think if you were going to ask me right now if I could choose anyone to be the, the, the new Arsenal manager, I'd really like the guy from Ajax, as unrealistic as I think that probably is, because uh, yeah. I see stories linking him with um, with Bayern. But there's a guy... Yeah, I mean, Ten Hag. Yeah. I mean, how old is that guy? 49. 49, so... Right, okay. So he's done a bit before, obviously. Um, Arteta's a bit younger. Um, yeah, so he was like, he managed go-ahead Eagles. Yeah, interestingly, it was kind of uh, Mark Overmars who, who gave him his, his break there. That's right, because Overmars course, was at go-ahead Eagles, wasn't he? Yeah, and then, of course, they worked together at Ajax. So had Overmars been our choice as technical director, mm. maybe that might be more of a prospect. Um Obviously, we went with Edu and, uh, you know, I, I don't think we're going to be taking Tite off Brazil. So, yeah, I, I am intrigued by by that side of it. You know, who are, who are the guys who are connected to Raul, to Edu, 
you know, Mourinho aside, yeah. <laughs> uh, that might be in contention. Um, yeah, but that's a really good shout. I mean, that would be a fantastic appointment if not necessarily, I don't know, especially realistic, but, but in a way, why not? I mean, Arsenal, you know, a big club, if you pay someone enough money, it's not an unattractive role. No, absolutely not. And I think um, I think there's a need for whoever we, we appoint. There's probably a need, A, to be a bit brave and also, B, maybe to take a bit of a risk. Mm. You know, because Emery was a safety first appointment, no question about it. I think they looked at him, his track record, his ability to, you know, win the Europa League. You know, he did have or has had plenty of experience, of course. You know, so you, you can understand the logic and, and the thinking behind that. But but sometimes football clubs are rewarded for being brave. You know, Guardiola yeah. only had a season uh, as, as Barcelona's um, coach of Barcelona B before they gave him the job. You know, and, and clubs across Europe, I think, um, and I think you cited Germany in particular, um, are, are taking more risks or being a bit more adventurous or being a bit more left field when it comes to appointing head coaches, mm. that they will give it to a young guy who doesn't necessarily have that much experience. Um, you, you've, of course, yeah. got to marry that with our ambition of getting top four this season. But, you know, in the absence of... Of anything else, yeah, I, I I completely agree with you, and it is hard to identify the the possible replacement, and it's not our job. I do think for me, Arteta would figure very highly on that list, just yeah. in terms of you know having the experience, of having worked with Pep in the Premier League, uh, having been someone who knows the club inside out, mm. uh, and, and the style of football he professes to to want to play and implement. You know, I kind of feel like if we can't get him he's going to be the next Man City manager you know and that's not a bad testament to someone's ability no um, so I think you know he, he would figure very very highly for me well, I mean would you have any interest in the sort of uh, caretaker thing of getting someone in to the end of the season you know I, I don't know I'm going to throw a name out Rafa Benitez for example um, who's someone who's got quite a good record, basically, in English football. Yeah. Um, and can coach a team, but is not someone who the fans are going to necessarily embrace and is going to sort of, you know, uh, bring us our Arsenal back or anything like it. I think it would probably have to be in conjunction with, a you know, if it was Benitez, then you've got to... You got to future proof it a little bit by saying, okay, it's Benitez, but we want Freddie to be your assistant and we want him to get this right. experience and we're sort of moving yeah. we're moving towards that. Now whether Benitez would take a a job in those circumstances, I don't quite know. I mean I think at the very least he would make this team um defensively more secure. Um Yeah. And that would be that would be I, a significant I think, I think step forward was, for if us. I was interviewing yeah, I think if I was interviewing, I know he's probably very well paid in China, to be honest, but if he, if I was drawing up a list of candidates that I wanted to interview, I, I do actually think he would be on it for me, just because I, I've said many times, the top four is paramount, really, for us. And, you know, to, to a certain extent, going with someone, you know, let's say on a deal till the end of the season and then review then, mm. who's very experienced, I don't know, I would have it on the table. 
I would mm. say that. Yeah, look, it's one of those things, isn't it, that when you put your opinion out there for a new manager, somebody's going to come along and shoot it down or poo-poo it or, or whatever it might be. But that's that's the nature of, I think, that that discussion and that debate, you know, one man's meat is another man's poison uh, and mm. everything else. And what we would do ultimately is irrelevant. It's um, we're here for entertainment purposes as much as possible. And the job is is that of Raul and Edu and, um, you know, Josh Kroenke and Vinay and whoever else is going to be involved in this. If they do have a shortlist, it would be surprising if Benitez wasn't on it. But I do think the circumstances in which he finds himself at the moment, he's only just gone to China, hasn't he? So yeah. um, I think he would be he would be a long shot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, one can only hope that these conversations are being had behind closed doors. And to be honest, I assume they are. And yeah. I kind of assume they would be almost irrespective of what was going on. You know, the reason we have a technical director and the reason we have a head of football is to sort of future-proof the club a bit and make Mm. sure there is a succession plan, make sure we are thinking a few years ahead. And everything we've done, you know, in terms of promoting the young players, buying someone like Saliba who's not available until the summer, things like that suggest that sort of thinking is in place. So it would be weird and remiss if they weren't talking about coaches as part of that conversation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, shall we have another question? Yeah, let's. Uh, I liked this one, by the way. It's not really one we need to answer necessarily, but from James Lowe, who said, is it time for David Luiz to start one of his famous player revolts? Uh, <laughs> the job he was actually brought in to do. The sleeper uh, agent. David. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, it, I suppose it is a, 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 it's a funny comment, but it, there is a degree of truth in it, isn't it? That maybe... I do feel like there is certain, I forget who said this, but someone on Twitter said, so apologies for not remembering, I have a hunch Aubameyang will decide when Arsenal get a new coach. And I do think there is almost something in that idea that, you know, when the players start going to people above the coach and saying, look, this isn't okay, that can sometimes be the final straw. Mm, we had a question about that actually on Discord from Emmanuel Lane who says, we've not heard anything about Laka and uh, Aubameyang's new contracts. Do mm. you think the club will need to make a decision sooner rather than later? Um, and then there was another one a, a bit further down. Let me see if I could find it. Yeah, from Dumbledore's Gunt. There's a name. Um, how damaging could inaction over the manager be with Aubameyang, Lacazette contracts coming up, potential January recruitment? Insert joke here. Um, there seem to be myriad reasons pointing to an immediate managerial change and very few benefits of inaction. So, I mean, that's that's we, we, we've talked about it from the from the point of view of getting into the top four, our league form, our our, our lack of. Uh, um, cohesion and style and substance but there are other issues as well that the club will have to consider yeah absolutely and that is a huge one the strikers and you know they have both cut slightly frustrated figures I think in the last few weeks Uh, I mean Lacazette always looks a bit frustrated but I think even more so than usual and if you look at their shot numbers they're they're dramatically down. Aubameyang's, as compared to the first few weeks of the season even, are down. Um, they're not getting a lot of service to thrive off. They sort of create the goal for themselves on Saturday. And, you know, we are hearing nothing about new contracts. And that is a huge concern because Arsenal without those two, I mean, it really, really doesn't bear thinking about. As mm. excited as we all might be about these young attacking players, you know, we are so reliant on those two for goals. And, I think someone like Aubameyang, you know, he he's one of the five captains. He is the the talisman of the team when it comes to goal scoring. 
I think his opinion on the coach and the tactical setup, the preparation, the training is valuable. And I would like to think that if, if this gets any worse, you know, I mean, it's almost like they need to be consulted because if, if the players aren't happy, it's mm. difficult to see how it's going to get better. Absolutely. I mean, the opinion of players is, is a, is a, is a consideration as well that if they feel the team is not performing to the sum of its parts which I think is is true I think there are the players that we have are capable of better than we're delivering at this moment in time uh, and I think the players think that too and if they if they have concerns about the way that they're being used or tactics or formations or, or any of those things you know they're not going to get better um, mm. unless those things are, are addressed so you know we hear player power and all that kind of stuff and it becomes a bit of a cliche but but I think in these circumstances um, the people above they need to they need to take into account what the players are thinking if they're all on board if they're behind Unai Emery then that's one thing if they're not though and if it's some of the senior players that are not um, you know you remember last year was it last year or earlier this season um, there was you know stuff where Aubameyang liked to post on Twitter or uh, about like why is Lacazette out of the team and he sort of goes well I don't know you know yeah. n- none of that is particularly healthy and I'm not sure it's quite what um, you you want to, your players to be doing but you can't ignore it either no absolutely absolutely by the way just quickly on the mm. manager thing um, we had a question here from Sam Nichol that I just wanted to read because I think it sort of summarises what we were saying maybe a, a bit better than either of us <laughs> managed it. <laughs> Get he him said, on the podcast. The, <laughs> yeah. What is the risk of being too reactionary regarding the manager? We seem to be in a state of anyone but Emery at this stage, but the next managerial decision is critical to our future. We need a new manager, but maybe the leadership team is buying time. And... I have to say, I hope that is the case, really. You know, I, I do think that's a good point. We get into this idea of anyone but Emery, but mm. if we get this wrong, it will damage us. You know, United appointed Moyes and it was a poison chalice and a nightmare job and a difficult job and he struggled and was sacked. The issue really is that they didn't respond to that appointment appropriately and they didn't really get it right from that point on. I think... We need to try and but accept. They, but they brought in Mourinho. They brought in the great <laughs> Mourinho. What could go wrong? Yeah. Well, Van Hal, of course, in between as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, I think um, I think Sam raises a really good point. You know, fortunately, we're allowed to be reactionary. We're fans. But they need to think very carefully about this because, you know, there, there are people like Sanyehi who were here when Emery was appointed and were involved in that interview process. And he'll have to hold his hands up and say, we didn't. We didn't necessarily get that right. Mm. Um, but it's important, really important, that we get the next one right. Mm. Have you got a question? Have I got a question? Uh, yes, this is a slightly different tack. This is from Christian, who's at Christian Talks. And Christian says, thoughts on Ceballos so far? He's played uh, a lot of possible games so far, started very bright, but he practically cost us two games. And then he's put brackets, Liverpool penalty, Wolves not marking his opponent. Liverpool penalty. Oh, he missed. Harsh. Yeah, that's yeah. a bit harsh. I wouldn't hold that against him in a in a penalty shootout. Um, yeah, 
that wasn't really why we lost that game. You know, that wasn't the key, the key driver, um, because we we had dominant or good positions in in that game uh, more than once. So I wouldn't put that on him. Yeah, certainly we didn't actually talk about the the goal that Wolves no. scored. Um, no. It got lost amidst all the other chances they had. Yeah, you know, I mean, it wasn't great. Sabios let the guy run off him. The cross came in, and um, Chambers was a little too far away from his man and um, got out jumped for the goal. Mm. So, you know, th- there's some blame there for Sabias. I think in general, he looks a nice, tidy footballer who I think he's quick and athletic enough for the Premier League, but I think he's been a bit underwhelming for me. Mm. Been mm. a bit underwhelming. Um yeah, had he not had that Burnley performance, I wonder how different the sort of collective assessment of him might be. Yeah. Know? It got him a lot of goodwill early on. It really did, I f- yeah. I feel like he might be slightly riding on that at this point. Yeah, a little bit. Look, you know, there are there are probably reasons for that as well. You know, we we yeah. we talk about the collective issues that this team has and 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 big players are struggling to play well. So it does seem a little bit harsh to to point to Ceballos and say, well, he's not playing or he's not good enough or anything like that because, you know, it's it's so hard to make individual assessments when when the team itself is is struggling. But I, mm. I you know, I, he is only here three months as well, and it's a new country and it's a new language and and everything else. Um, and maybe he is taking a bit more time to adapt than we thought. But so far, he's been okay. But that's about it for me. So I, you yeah. know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be like writing Real Madrid a check right at this moment in time. See where we are in March or April. Maybe we have a different opinion on him. But but right now he's okay, and that's kind of it. Yeah, I, I think about a month ago we got asked if we would buy him for forty million, and I think I said, oh, as an investment, I'd probably just do it because I think you could move him on. If you ask me now. And it shows, I suppose, how opinions vacillate. But I don't think I would do that right now. I just mm. don't think we're seeing enough from him. Um, and the more I see, the less convinced I am that he's the right guy. But, you know, the, it is difficult, as we kind of alluded to in part one, to judge individuals too much within this system, particularly in midfield, where I think, you know, we are a, a bit of a mess. So mm. I, if there is a managerial change sometime in the next few weeks, it would be interesting to see how that might benefit him and you know, perhaps yeah. we'll see more from him in the second half of the campaign. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that, that is going to be one of the remits of the new manager is to get more out of the players that he has, you know. Sure, and but, but, you know, I think if we, can, if we can find a manager who can create a team that has some cohesion and fluency, I think you will see individual performances improve because of that as well. So I don't think it's... I don't think it's um, a case that we can look at it from, okay, we need individuals to start playing better to make the team better. I think we need the team to be better and for the individuals to react within that within that system. Yeah. Does that make sense? That's fair. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. Okay, here's a question. It comes from Toby Lillyleaf 
on the Discord, and he says, mm-hmm. why do you think the club posted Xhaka's statement, the original translation, in the captain's notes? Doesn't it seem odd that they did not change the translation? And there was another one here uh, from Ram on Twitter, at RamArsenal21, who says, what do you make of Arsenal posting Xhaka's non-apology on, on the official match day program? Is it bad PR, or are we pushed to a corner to back the captain who disrespected the armband? Well, they don't have a lot of time, I guess, between Shaka's statement coming out and having to go to print on the programme mm. to to react. I mean, it was Friday, what was it, Friday, late Thursday night, was it, when the yeah. Shaka statement dropped? And I imagine they go to print sort of early-ish on Friday. I mean, part of me wonders if the statement was put out in the knowledge that something had to go in the programme notes as well, if that kind of forced yeah. Chaka's hand a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, I, I don't know that for sure, but I, I suspect that might have been an influence. I was not surprised that they didn't adapt the translation, just because I've looked at it again and again, and, and what happens in the English translation, it feels very deliberate. The fact that he says, I'm sorry if that's what people thought. Is that what he says? Yeah, uh, I th- I don't want to misquote him, but he doesn't come close to saying that in the German. And it must be on purpose. You wouldn't add in those words and that sense unless you wanted to. Mm. Um, And so I I think people can draw their own inferences there, but it's not like they've mistranslated a word. It's like words have been added in. Uh, Yeah. I, I mean, I am... I am in guesswork territory now, but, you know, it's almost as if he regards his German-speaking fans as sort of his loyal core support, uh, hence changing his profile picture from of him wearing an Arsenal kit to a Switzerland kit, uh, and that the English-language version is more targeted at English-speaking Arsenal-attending fans, i.e. the fans in the stadium who he's pissed off with. I mean, that is my reading of that difference and I don't really know how you can read it Any, I mean it seems to me very deliberate yeah um, and what do I think of them putting it in I, I've got some sympathy with them because like I say they've got to turn it around they've got to do something but uh, it is a slightly absurd situation we're at now and you know still no word on if he's the captain it's been more than a week and there's no clarification offered on that I think that's. I think that is problematic. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it was a good look, to be honest. Um, and like you, yeah. I do have some sympathy because there's a page to fill, and I'm not sure what they could have um, put in there. But mm. um, yeah, look, it, it didn't really, it didn't really calm the waters too much. Shaka's statement. Um, do you? Um think he'll be involved this week. We've got two games, Vittoria and Leicester. Vittoria feels safer, you have to say. Like, you know, f- far from far from England, it's a game no one really cares about. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it, it really depends what, what, what's happening behind the scenes. Um, you know, he's what, training, you know. He's training, but also he's, you know, he has refused to to make the kind of conditional apology that Arsenal wanted him to make or unconditional apology I think that Arsenal wanted him to make and and, uh, you know there were suggestions that he was asked to resign the captaincy he hasn't done that Um, so it feels like he is 
regardless of the statement coming out, still at odds with the club. And if that's the situation, then I don't really know how he can play. Um, You know, it hasn't been dealt with particularly well. I don't think anybody's come out of this looking well. Not Xhaka, not the club, not Emery, who's come across as sort of weak and indecisive. Um, And from what we hear, you know, Xhaka took exception to some of the things that that Emery said about how he was feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So it feels like there's still probably a lot bubbling uh, under the surface that we're not aware of. Um, But over a week later, for it not to be, if not consigned to history, something that we've moved past is not great. It's not great, so... Yeah, yeah, it does It does feel like weak management. And I have to say, uh, you know, a lot of the conversation this week is about us looking beyond Emery and looking above Emery. And I think I would have liked to see a bit more clarity and communication and direction from those people, you know, from, from Edu or from uh, Raul to yeah. sort of impose something on that situation if, if Emery and Xhaka can't sort of sort it out between themselves yeah uh, I think the club need to be stronger there yeah um, do you think he'll play? I think uh, do I think he'll play? I think actually yeah I think he will I think he'll play in Portugal right um, just because they'll want to rotate the squad and I think that he'll be part of that and I think that, you know, it's not like playing at the Emirates Stadium where he might get a, a pretty tricky reception. I think they might regard it as an opportunity to sort of sneak him back in. Mm. Um, I wouldn't be confident enough to say if they would do that at Leicester, but we do know Unai loves to pick him. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, Nishant Verma says, does Ozil's performance on the weekend justify him being in the first 11? I thought he had a good match. We looked better in possession with him involved, but the output of shots remained the same while he offers less in defence than someone like Willock. Uh, I think, again, we come back to this, to the point about the system. Mm. Um did he justify being in the team? Yeah, he played well. He played well against Liverpool. He played well against Wolves. Um, I mean, there's a couple of things you could look at, you know, over the course of this weekend, couldn't you? You could say that, well, the the addition to Ozil into the squad didn't really make us any better, mm. nor did the absence of Granite Xhaka. You know True. what I mean? So True. leaving yeah. aside the, the, the sort of mistakes that, that Xhaka is... Uh, that Xhaka makes and have frustrated people. We weren't any better without Xhaka in the team and we weren't that much better with Ozil in the team, even though I thought Ozil, uh, as I said in the first part of the show, played a very um, key role in us ending that, uh, you know, that that Wolves dominance at the start of the game. And he, you know, it was basically down to him um, that we got back into the game and scored our goal and created the few chances that we did. So, you know, maybe it's harsh to say he didn't make us better, but over the course of 90 minutes, you know, we've ended up with a point and a 1-1 draw at home in a game that people had expected us to win. So mm. maybe the other question an is... immediate fix. No, no, no. Maybe the other question is, you know, did his performance suggest that there was nothing at all that he could add in the previous games? in which we played, in which he was not even in the squad. Whether he was starting is another question, but, you know, why wouldn't you have him on the bench? Mm -mm. Well, I think in that respect, 
you know, I, I think he did perform pretty well at the weekend. And I, I equally don't think it made us masses better. And I think that probably, you know, speaks more to the the manager's issues and the team's broader issues than it does anything individual. But it is also kind of interesting, isn't it, that Emery has folded on his big stance of mm. I'm not going to include Ozil. He's sacrificed that point of principle and it hasn't bailed him out. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, that yeah, feels yeah. pretty, like where do you go from there? Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like you've, you've, you've sort of got off your soapbox and you've, you know, you've yeah. folded there. Yeah, a week ago it was a club strategy and they were strong and this exactly. was, you know, and then, you know, a few days later, you've absolutely crumbled on that. Expediency requires that you put your principles to one side because you need points. So, yeah, look, yeah. again, it's one of those situations that doesn't reflect well on him. We've done the Ozil thing a lot. So let's finish on one more, slightly more positive question. And it comes from cool. Jake on Twitter, who's at Jake Tux. And he says, uh, trying to stay away from the obvious. Thank you, Jake. <laughs> How good do you think Tierney will become? From what I've seen so far, he looks like he could be our our best left back since Ashley Cole. Would you agree? I think I probably would, actually, because we've not been blessed with... I mean, we had sort of... Uh, we had Clichy, then we had uh, Andre Santos. Monreal, I think, was a pretty good left back. But yeah. Tierney does look excellent. I have to say... Um, I thought he dealt very well for the most part with Adama Traore, who is a nightmare to defend against. Holy you know? fuck, that guy is quick. Like, yeah. whatever about, <laughs> you know, a 100-yard race, I can't remember seeing a player so quick over two or three yards. Mm-hmm. And mm. I just can't remember anybody who who you look at him and he's got the the defender there and you go, he's going to push the ball to the right and he's going to try and get a cross in. But, you know, there's uh, there's no space for him to create enough room for a cross, but somehow he manages it. I mean, thankfully, yeah. what he what he has in speed, he, he kind of lacks in end product and technical ability. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you. There were a couple of moments early on where where he got roasted by Traore. But I think it's a, a sign of a good player that he quite quickly learned how to defend against him. And he wasn't really oh, yeah. that much of a threat. And, yeah, I agree. And, and Traore will give a lot of teams problems this season. I mean, he, you know, he is a, uh, he, you know, as we said, he's very quick. He's built like a bodybuilder and he, he's, you know, he's tricky. His end product's not there. Mm. Um, if he puts it all together, he'll be some player. But I mean, I don't know if he ever will at this stage. But yeah, Tierney dealt well with that. I did, I, he wasn't as involved uh, going forward as I might like. As I said in part one, you know, it, a lot more came down Callum Chambers' side and it's difficult to understand that really given, you know, how good Tierney can be going forward. The, mm. the thing that I really love about Tierney and that I was, I think I was watching a match um, the other day, maybe I was watching Chambers. I was thinking about how difficult it is to cross the ball well mid-sprint. It's so rare to see a player do that well. The reason players pull pull the ball back or fire it low across the box is because it's sort of easier to obtain a level of accuracy at speed when you're doing that or at mm. least get it into a dangerous area. And if you think of people who have been brilliant crosses of the ball, like a David Beckham, say... He was never really doing that at pace. He would kind of kill the ball and almost like take dead balls from that side. Tierney can really cross when he's moving at velocity. And that's yeah. a pretty unusual thing, actually. And I uh, I love that about him. So 
I'm really glad he's in the team. I think I, I can't wait to see Hector Bellerin back in there. And I wonder if this might be the week that they reintroduce him with Leicester being such a big game. I just wonder if they'll sort of give him, I don't know, 45 minutes maybe in midweek and then play him at the weekend. Because I think I think we we, we would need him in that match, Hector Bellerin. Yeah, that's a... That's an interesting one. I don't. When is the Leicester game on Saturday or Sunday? Saturday night. Um, what? And then, yeah, Victoria is Wednesday, isn't it? It's Wednesday afternoon. Oh, it's one of those Saturday evening ones, right? Okay. Yeah. I thought you meant Saturday night. I was going. Is oh, there like sorry, an eight no, o'clock no. kickoff on a Saturday night or something? It just mm. you know that did happen last season, didn't it? I think for one game for someone, but mm. um, yeah, it's uh, five thirty at Leicester. So Wednesday to Saturday, probably if you play Bellerin, if you play Bellerin on yeah, Wednesday, risky, yeah. I don't know that you can play him on on Saturday after a cruciate injury. Other injuries, I think you can be a bit more. Uh, you can be a bit take a bit more risks with players, but with cruciates, I think you've got to manage their reintroduction um, slowly and sensibly, as frustrating as it might be. You know, the you have to look after the long-term benefit of the player and the team. And I think at this point, I would be surprised if if he was ready uh, to play twice in a week. I mean, look, Rob Holding wasn't even on the bench on Saturday. True. You know, well, so... if that's the case, I'm not sure that... I'm not sure Be- if Bellerin will play at Leicester then, thinking about it. Because I sort of think if he's not sharp already to play Wolves I can't see how he will be seven days later um, mm. I don't know I don't know maybe it's more likely he'll play Vittoria in that case yeah. but I mean that yeah I mean that Leicester game is ominous I have to say it is a bit but look we can cross that bridge <laughs> when we come to it yes um, well, let, let's try and end to. yeah we'll have to of course let's uh, end on an up note and that is the uh, the promising nature of Kieran Tierney and what he might bring to this Arsenal team um, so far so good um, with him mm-hmm. anyway look we'll leave it there you've probably got a uh, pan au chocolat to eat um, and a cup of coffee <laughs> to have I guess yeah that'd be nice uh, um, okay well look as ever thank you everyone for listening I hope you enjoyed the show and we will be back next Monday to talk about that ominous Leicester game so until then take it easy bye bye Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.